Welcome to the Outward OPC podcast. Outward OPC is a work of the Committee on Home Missions, and it exists to encourage zeal for reaching the lost and to be a tool for the OPC and other Reformed churches to be more effective in reaching people outside the church. You can check out the website at outwardopc.com for articles, videos, and tools to help you and your church be more outward in your ministry. Now on with today's episode. Brad Herzog here for Outward OPC. Today I have Chris Hartshorn with me. Chris is uh, the regional home missionary of the Presbytery of Southern California. And many of you may know Chris. He was also the church planter in Southern California in the Anaheim Hills area. Uh, Chris was a church planter for seven years from the inception of that church all the way through seeing it become a particularized church. And then about two years ago, transitioned to regional home missionary uh, for the presbytery out there. Chris, I thought we'd jump in with a question. I think the obvious starting point is your transition from local pastor to RHM about two years ago. Wondering if you could start by kind of giving us a little survey. I, I think most people think of you as a thoughtful guy in regards to outreach in the local church and you know, a, a primary part of your ministry, at least in terms of building a culture of evangelism and seeing the Lord bless that. How do you take that and transition out to where you're working with lots of different mission works at various stages with various gifts and strengths and challenges? How do you kind of take your vision for outreach and try to help these new works also grow in their desire to evangelize? Yeah, thanks, Brad. That's a good, that's a good question. I think when I started in this role, it was a really, you can really go a million different directions in, in the role of RHM. If you talk to guys around the country, uh, which I, I really enjoy doing at, at uh, ReachX or whatever in Florida in next month, you just hear their plans and you hear the way that they're thinking about doing things. And based on their geographical location, based on the number of works they have that are going on, based on the things that they're trying to get started, they're doing things differently. And so one of the one of the ideas that we originally had was for me to, because I have a, a younger family and four kids at home, was to maybe do one work at a time. And uh, I felt like that was not the best way to go about things in this massive area uh, of the Southern California Presbytery. And so we're just really trying to knock on as many doors as we can and see what opens up, get as many lines in the water as we can and see what what happens, what unfolds. And uh, so when we get a when we get a group going, and there's just as I think about it right now, there's just the works that we have going on have kind of come about in different ways in our on our going forward in different ways. The thing that I think we have in common is that we're always trying to, I, I think this comes from me, but it also comes from the church planners themselves, always trying to think about addition that leads to multiplication. And we're, we're trying to think about not just doing one work, one project that uh, we, we get to particularization and then boom, we're finished. But really, as we just talked about with the North Scottsdale group, uh, that that went in, I think, 17 months from being a mission work to uh, particularization uh, from like 48 in their first meeting or, you know, in the core group in their first meeting to about 120 right now, uh, a year and a half later, that this particularization isn't just the finish line, it's the starting line. We're just getting started in multiplying our uh, efforts in financial outreach, in planting new churches ourselves. And so, we're just constantly thinking about how can we grow? How can we work not just in, in small ways, and small ways are important too, but in bigger ways with a bigger picture. So it's just, it, like I said before, it, 
it, it's different in every place, but we're constantly thinking about reaching out uh, and, and reaching beyond the four walls of the church to do big things because we believe God wants to do big things. And uh, that old saying comes to mind that we're, we're, we're attempting big things for God and we're expecting big things from God. Uh, we, we, we know that God can do exceeding abundantly above all we ask or think, and we're kind of working with that kind of paradigm in our church plants. And so just getting back to that original question, we, we are just in each work thinking about the climate there and thinking creatively and continually about how to reach beyond the four walls to bring people into our church plants. So when you say think creatively about how to go outside the church walls, could you, could you maybe put some flesh on that? Um, maybe... You know, you've been around long enough with some of these works. Maybe you can give some examples or maybe you just have things in mind. Make it a little bit more tangible. I mean, when some people say creative, you know, they're thinking crazy creative. In our world, creative means something different. What, what, are, you, what are you thinking? What's in your mind when you say creative ways to reach outside the walls of the church? Yeah, so for instance, in North Scottsdale, the work Providence North Scottsdale, David Schecksneider, the church planner, now the is going to be the pastor of that church when they particularize you know, they had an opportunity to go back to the community center where they began, had their first several uh, Bible studies, five or six Bible studies before they began worship in a school and then moved to a, a second uh, position in a, in a church, in a big church in North Scottsdale. But they had an opportunity because they built a relationship even over a short period of time with the people at that community center, they were invited to come back and they went back and they and they served food and drinks in that community center that is next to a community pool, next to a playground, next to a big grassy area where people play. And they went back and they gave out resources and people went around as they invited people for food and also evangelized and invite them to church, invited them to church. And so uh, that would be one way there in, in Thousand Oaks with Caleb Smith. Caleb has thought it, it good to have uh, conferences on a yearly basis, although it's a church plant, and I wouldn't normally recommend that for Caleb. That was in his wheelhouse, and so he started having professors from Mid America come out and uh, talk about this topic and that topic, and then invite people from the community, and then have the event at another church in town. And so that was his way of kind of reaching out. One of the ways he's also done really big vacation Bible schools, which again I wouldn't really uh, recommend to everybody in a, in a church plan environment. But he felt like he could pull it off, and they've done a really good job. And they have a, had quite a few people from outside of the church come and uh, be involved in that vacation Bible school. So there, those are a couple of different examples that we have. So obviously, how many Chris? How many works or how many mission works are you at least in some way? Uh, working with or helping to oversee as an RHM right now? Right now we have uh, three projects in Arizona and then uh, California with Thousand Oaks, still involved with Resurrection Presbyterian Church, which used to be Anaheim Hills, which is the church that I planted on session there, augmenting also at Corona, uh, augmenting there. And then in Hawaii, as we're transitioning uh, Doug Watson out of that role, it's a massive uh, presbytery. And uh, I've said many times that when I drive into the state of Arizona and drive into this massive and growing area in Phoenix, uh, 6 million plus and growing, uh, some of those numbers, unwritten numbers, but 6 million plus in that area alone, let alone you go into Tucson and there's a million and we need to plant more churches out there. And there's smaller communities around Arizona and, and massive areas of unreached population for us in California. And we'd actually like to do more work in Hawaii as well on, on neighboring islands. And so it's just, 
what we're already doing is a lot. And, and there's a lot more work that we think needs to be done. Two years now, you've expanded your horizons. You knew about your fellow churches in your Presbyterian, got to talk to men. But now you're traveling there, you're preaching there, you're sitting on the session, you, you see a different reality of these churches. What, what have you learned? You, you may have had a vision for what RHM and outreach would look like when you started. What have you learned? What has changed? How have you adapted? What have you seen that has maybe you thinking a little bit differently or acting a little bit differently now than maybe you would have expected the day you started this call? I think that I see a lot, a, a lot of things more clearly. I'm not taken by surprise at anything I'm seeing as I see things more closely. Uh, I, I'm just kind of, it, it's confirming to see where we are. And uh, I, there are a lot of good things happening in our churches, a lot of things that we can praise God for and celebrate. Uh, and, and there are a lot of things I think that we need to think about and, you know, honestly assess in the way that we are doing not only church planting, but I think, and I, you know, I may step on some toes, and, but I, I do want to be honest and, and share honestly and, open, and answer questions truthfully. You know, I think we're going to have to change some of the, the ways we're doing things. And I think that the way that we're, the way that we plant churches and the way that we pastor and lead particular congregations that, you know, were at one point church plants, those things need to be related. And our, our particular churches, our, our bigger churches, our older churches, I think really need to be involved in church planning in a real close way, whether it be financial, whether it be lending members, whether it be, uh, sending elders for a time to be part of provisional sessions or kind of subgroups of our session overseeing works entirely. I, I really think it's the job of the presbytery as a whole, and that would include particular churches, bigger churches, older churches, to really have a hand in, in a massive way, planting new churches. Even if, if they're not saying, well, we have a group, you know, forming right down the road, that's how we can help or whatever. I think there's there are ways that our older churches and more um, wealthier churches can have a massive hand in church planning regardless. And I, I think that's one of the things that we're working on here in our presbytery right now is our, our budget is, is, is shrinking and what we have in, the, in reserve is limited. We really need our churches that do have funds and do have resources and are putting together budgets and saying, where, where can we spend this money? We can spend it and invest it in church planting. So, I, I, yeah, there are a lot of good things, but I think there are a lot of things, whether it be with our particular churches and also our church plants, that we need to think differently because we, we really live in a different world. And that's kind of the thing that I'm trying to pass along is that we're, we're living in a different world than we were when Machen was doing things or even even... 20 years ago. It's a, it's a radically different world that we're living in, and we, we need to adjust accordingly, in my mind. So, there's really, when you say we want to be, you know, we want particularization to be the starting line, not the finish line, as you said earlier. Yeah. And often it's kind of couched in OPC reform circles. So we want to be churches planting churches. I guess I'll put it this way. I think if we took a survey and said to reformed people, OPC people, members, leaders, otherwise. Do we want churches to be aggressive in, chant in planting churches? Most people would say, yes, that would be great. We would love to see churches go out and new churches planted. 
But underneath that, there's kind of a almost hidden cost when you first nod your head and say, yes, I would like that. How do we overcome the challenges and get that more whole presbytery reality that every church in every presbytery plants every church? I, I think it starts with just conversations. I mean, I think it starts with showing up at our churches and doing a presentation in the Sunday school hour and preaching sermons that are sharing the mission of the church and sharing the way that the church expanded in the early days, seeing how people were working and work and, and outwardly focused, focused on growing the church, focused on reaching the lost. And it, it, it comes from meeting with sessions, you know, it, it's sitting down after I visit and just having conversations with sessions and saying, listen, you guys have opportunities to plant around here. You know, you have opportunities should you be so inclined. And I would encourage you in that way. I'm not trying to be heavy handed, but just laying out ideas and suggestions like there are areas around here that would be really good places for you to plant. And you could send a core group from here. Uh, a certain number of people with elders and deacons, with a, a church planner of your choosing, and I could come alongside and support you and help you every step of the way and walk you through the process and, and, and give some you know practical wisdom, things that we've done in the past that worked. And just kind of keep coming alongside and keep understanding that it's a process that comes th- and the momentum grows through conversation and through time. It's not an all or nothing thing. It's not an overnight change that takes place. I think it's going to take, you know, years and and decades. But I think it's I think it's uh, there's a buy-in, right, that that happens at some point where you start to see conversations are had over here and then you see other churches that that do it. And then yeah, we've had those conversations over here and then we see this church is doing it over here and we can do that. And then we we go we go talk to the, those guys. We talk to that pastor over there, those elders. We talk to some members over there. And yeah, there's a cost. But there's, all, there's, there's always a cost in, in kingdom work, I think. There's always a sacrifice. You know, as we look at our Savior, he, he, he sacrificed and laid down everything. And I think sometimes we kind of imbibe the culture of ease and comfort that everybody's striving for in the world. It's not what Christ has for us. And it's, it's not on purpose. We're not doing it on purpose, but it's very hard to not be negatively affected by the culture that goes on around us. And so, we all, on some level, crave ease, comfort, safety, protection. And some of those things are good to a certain extent, but they can also be, become sinful because we're, we're called to follow Christ. We're called to deny ourselves. We're called to you know, lay down our lives for the kingdom of God. And, uh, you know, the way that I think about it, and it's not that I don't struggle with this myself, I do, but the way that I think about it is, and it's always helpful and clarifying for me, is to say, okay, on the last day of my life, when I look back on things and the way that I lived and the way that I stewarded the resources that God gave to me, financial and otherwise, gifts, talents, abilities, when I stand on, on, on my deathbed or the day that I stand before Christ, what will I want to have done? How will I want to have lived? You know, when I stand before King Jesus, will I want to say, you know, that was a pretty easy life. Thank you, Jesus. Or will I want to say to him, you, you gave your all for me. So, in return, I wanted to give my all for you because you're infinitely worthy of not just my worship and honor, but the worship 
and the service and the honor from all other people on the planet. And, and as I come to sense and understand how great you are, I don't want to just keep it for myself. I, I want to share it with others. And, you know, that kind of bleeds into the area of evangelism for me. We all evangelize. We all do. You know, whether it be that great restaurant down the street that we just discovered, the women, you know, that new face cleanser or whatever. You have no, you have no problem telling everybody about that. So the things that we love, the things that we really value, I think that's important too, right? The things that we truly value, we're going to talk about. I, I think that's kind of, it's, there's going to be a cost. You know, Rico, I think Rico Tice talked about a pain line. There's a pain line we step across to do evangelism, to tell the unconverted person about Jesus. There's a pain line we, we, we step across when we send our best people out to be involved in a church plant or an elder and a deacon. There's a pain line, but it's worth it though. It's worth it eternally because we're not just living for these 70 or 80 years. We're living for eternity. We're not just living for ourselves. We're living for something bigger than ourselves. And I think that's a bit massive thing as well, is that to live for ourselves is, is kind of in a way pathetic. And we all sense that on some level. We all want to live for something bigger than ourselves, whether we know it or not. We all, we all want to live for something that's, that's broader, that's more um, glorious in scope and in nature. And what is more glorious in scope and in nature than living for God and his kingdom? And sometimes that's painful, but that's, that's okay. That's a part of it. it. You know, the pattern that Jesus gave to us was first suffering, then glory. People want glory now and want to avoid all suffering. And, and, you know, that's the thing that I think also we don't understand in our culture is, I think Tim Keller said it in, in one of his books, that this is the first culture in the history of the world that has had no place for suffering whatsoever. Every other culture, historically, every other religion at least has some kind of answer for suffering or hardship. Like, they may be wrong in the way that they describe it, but at least they have some answer. But the culture that we're living in now, suffering is to be avoided at all costs. And the minute it comes, anything hard, get rid of it as fast as you can, because there's absolutely no worth and value and significance to it. And again, we've allowed that into the church. And there's some corners of the church that are actually teaching that false doctrine. And there's others that are just kind of allowing it to be present. And we want to speak against that. We want to speak to it and say, suffering is part of the Christian life. Suffering is going to happen regardless. And so, why not be actively recognizing that and willing to suffer in Jesus' name for Jesus' glory? Yeah, that's a good challenge. Um, when we started this segment, you mentioned that there are a lot of good things happening in the presbytery, and I, I, I don't want to uh, breeze past that. I wonder if you could share that a little bit. And I was thinking in the context, my sense from leaders, you know, leaders in Willow Grove, church planter conference training every year. There seems to be a growing sense maybe for the last several years that the men coming in as church planters being called to plant churches, there seems to be a, a renewed sense of desire and hunger to see a solidly staunch confessional reformed church really reach outsiders. I wonder if, if you've seen that sense of things as you've started to interact with groups and and men, I know you're on the uh, National Home Missions Committee as well, so you have the opportunity to hear men who are uh, prospectively being called, you know, talk about these things. What what have you seen that is 
going well in your presbytery? And do you have that sense of a bit of momentum about a hunger and desire and a real willingness to start to to step out of the comfort zone to see Reformed churches reach people? Yeah, I think as I think about our church planters, I think about the guys that have newly particularized. It, it really is. It's it's greatly encouraging. All of the all of the church plants that I work with, the newly particularized churches like Pasadena and Corona, these guys are constantly thinking about again new ways to reach out. And I think just for instance, Pasadena OPC. I was sitting with Matt Cotta, the pastor there at Presbytery on Friday, and. I, I was thinking about when we started that work, that that Bible study. When we started that Bible study in there in Max and Emily Bell's home years ago, I thought we can reach Providence students. We can reach folks in this neck of the woods. I think we have a, a place for it. And now, as they've particularized and and are really growing up near a hundred people in attendance, they have uh, a Sunday afternoon Chinese worship service. And they have Isaac Zhao, who's Isaac Zhou, uh, who's leading that, who's looking to become a, a pastor here from China. And then there's also another a man from China that's helping with that study. And they're reaching out in massive ways to Chinese speaking people. And they're just extremely excited about reaching, yeah, the typical people that we were thinking about reaching at the beginning, but now there's this whole new component to it that's unfolding. As we think about uh, Caleb Smith again, or, or David Schecksneider down in, in Arizona, you I mean, these guys are, are constantly uh, thinking about ways to take the robust reformed faith without any kind of compromise and reaching new people, connecting with new people and, and bringing them into this and not even necessarily saying like, well, this is reformed, just saying like, come into our church, this is Christianity. Like, this is the most faithful form of Christianity. And I was talking to a pastor in our presbytery just the other day, and he was saying, like, we have really strong people in our church that really don't even know what Reformed theology is, but they're learning it, and they're imbibing it, and they're they're rejoicing in it. And so, I think that's really important. Like, we're not just after a, a name. I think we're just trying to teach biblical truth to people we're trying to uh, preach the biblical gospel and the implications of that gospel to people. And the titles that sometimes are kind of a turnoff to people, yeah, we're not ashamed of them, but, but, but we help people understand them in their proper, in their proper time. And I think all of our, all of our churches are, are, as far as I know, are trying to say, like, how do we turn the corner on what we used to do? As in, I, I think that it used to be, like we could kind of just hang our shingle and be like, we are the OPC and people will just kind of filter in, you know, people that have heard Sproul or people that, you know, read this book or whatever, people that, you know, that just now I tell people in my talks on, uh, on evangelism when, when I go to churches, I just tell people like, no matter what you have going on in here, people don't really care out there. Like they're not going to come into a church for any reason. They're not for a wedding, for some kind of, you know, graduation or what they just, they don't want to come into a church. So you have to go out there and yes, amazing stuff can be happening in there. You have to go out there and get them. And then you have to get them to come in here. And then when they come in here, what they're 
confronted with is something that they can actually kind of connect with. It's not so foreign that they can't even connect in any way, shape, or form. Certainly, there's going to be some form of foreignness to them because they're embracing, you know, we're embracing the true and the living God, and he's He's different from us in many ways. And there's something that that is, um, it, it shouldn't be my homeboy Jesus and the man upstairs. There shouldn't be this kind of lack of reverence. There should be that. But there should also be a bridge. There should also be a way for people that come from outside that we go get to be able to come in and connect on some level. And I think we're seeing that. Like some guys maybe don't know how to do that at all. Some guys are grappling with it and some guys are really good at it. And um, so I think those are the positives that that we see that at least people understand. They're coming to grips with the fact that we need to do something different. We People aren't going to just filter in on their own. We need to go get them. And then when they get in here, we need to be doing something in a way that's relational, something that explains why we're doing what we're doing, giving them an opportunity. I think Mark Jenkins at Resurrection Presbyterian in Placentia, formerly Anaheim Hills, is, is really doing uh, phenomenal work uh, in the way that he talks to unbelieving people or, or unchurched people and says, listen, when you come to church, and I want you to come to church, when you come, it's going to be different. Like up front, he tells them it's going to be different. And then afterwards, I want you to tell me what you thought of it and feel free to ask me any questions about what we're doing. And I'll give you the best answers we can as to why. But we, he wants them to know that we've thought through what we're doing in every aspect, every component of what we're doing. We're doing it not only for the believers, but for the people that are outside that are going to come in. And, it, you know, if there's things that they don't understand, we'll explain to them. And I, I think that's incredibly important for us as the OPC, and, and I think this is incredibly important for every single one of our churches, to not only think about how we do church and what we're doing in our churches as an insider, because that's automatic. That's where we all live. But think about it as an outsider. Think about the way that your church is set up on a Sunday morning. You know, think about your signage. You know, think about the, the way that people first interact with people when they pull up into the parking lot. Think about with how how you would feel if you can think back to maybe when you were an unbeliever how you would feel walking into a building like what would you what would you want to encounter as you were like unsure of yourself as you were nervous as this is all a new thing how would you want people to talk to you what would you want people to say to you how would you want people to greet you and then what would you want in the service like yeah maybe there's things you don't understand but should should someone kind of explain some things during the service as to why why we're doing what we're doing. Yeah, this is strange. And then like follow up afterwards, if you have questions or if you didn't like something, there's somebody that's available to talk to, particularly maybe the pastor that's been up front the whole time. So I think, you know, that, that's, a, that's a whole lot of kind of things off the top of my head, but those are things that we are thinking about. And I think that's a really good example of, of the way we're doing things in our presbytery right now. And And then I guess I would also say, as we look at guys that are coming into our denomination, because I do have the opportunity to interview every church planter um, with the Committee on Home Missions. I'm on the subcommittee for church planting. And so I get to look at every guy's ministerial information form, which is basically his, you know, his past and his present and what he wants to do in the future on paper, on a 10-page document. And then we get to interview them personally and, and hear them answer and talk about, you know, where they've been, what they're doing, and what they hope to accomplish in their church plants. It really is encouraging to see the brothers that are coming in, and it really is encouraging to see the direction of church planting in our denomination. 
I, I'm greatly encouraged by the, the young men that are coming in, the way that they're thinking about what their, their task is, what their role is, and to see the works that are growing, uh, to see the number of churches that are planted. I'm also excited to see the number of regional home missionaries uh, growing. I mean, that program is, is really expanding, and we're kind of bracing for almost all of our presbyteries to have a regional home missionary, which means we're going to plant churches. I, I think the presbyteries that have regional home missionaries are the presbyteries that plant churches. And it's just really helpful to have a guy that his job is to help with and to oversee church planning because other guys are really busy. Other pastors, other elders, other people are really busy doing the, the normal things that they should be doing. And um, the RHM role is a great role for us in the, uh, in the Orthodox Presbyterian Church. Thanks for uh, sharing those stories. I'm sure people will appreciate hearing that and hearing the whole conversation. Uh, I'm feeling a little bit nostalgic today, Chris. You were, you were episode one <laughs> of the Outward OPC podcast almost six years ago. I remember pulling into a parking lot with you in my car when I was out there with you guys yep. and recording the first one. I don't, I don't know what episode we're at now, but uh, thanks for taking your time again, as you always do. You're very generous and, and for sharing these things with us and, and talking to us. Yep, absolutely. Thanks for having me, Brad. It's great. That's it for today's episode. You can go to the website at outwardopc.com to check out more resources. And you can sign up for our email list where you will receive notifications when new things are available. Until then, we'll see you next episode.